Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining us. On tonight's program, we have FN Arena's Rudy Philippek van Dyke looking at the re return of optimism in the stock market. Is it too early to say the worst is behind us? And he looks at the tech stocks that he really likes going forward. And then we talk to Marcus Bogdan of Blackmore Capital, the guy who manages the Switzer Dividend Growth Fund. He's uh, looking at the, the stocks that he's dropping and the stocks he's picking up. And one of the big banks is on the way out and the telcos are on the way up. And finally, we talked to Arjun Panawal of Investikit about why um, real estate prices in the regions are likely to hold up a lot better than people would expect. That's the show. Let's kick off now with Rudy Philippek van Dijk. Thanks for joining us, Rudy. Oh, happy to be here, Peter. Yeah. Now, really, a question I get from lots of people at the moment, particularly mm. when you looked at what happened in the US on Friday night when City reported better mm. than expected and up it went 13% and a big jump. Um, of course, that's probably short sellers <laughs> worried, worried about them, uh, the uh, City doing better than expected. But do you think we're seeing the bottoming process trying to happen? In, in, on Wall Street and ultimately have an impact on us? Peter, well, what I think is what, what we see is, and as, as per always, in particular in, in, in during uh, tough times as 2022 is, we see a bit of a battle going on between, uh, simplistic put, the bulls and the bears. Yeah. And, and, um, and those who are still a little bit bearish or cautious they are still on the lookout to see whether we will have a recession next year. And those who are more on the optimistic side, they think, like, oh, maybe we don't have a recession next year. And in, in both scenarios, the, 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 the outcome is very, very different. If we do get a recession next year, and, and that is very much dependent on, on aggressive tightening by, um, by central banks and on persistently high energy prices, I would pretty much both uh, see as the main factors there, then markets can go down another 15, 20%, and they probably will, uh, although not necessarily immediately. And if we don't get a recession, then it is well possible that we, we are witnessing the bottoming process uh, after the big pull down uh, over the past uh, five, six months. And that essentially is the setup where we find ourselves yeah. and uh, in the middle of the year. Yeah, but Rudy, are you surprised? Um, well, yeah, I'll use the word surprised about the magnitude of the volatility nowadays on the stock market. And when people ask me why, I say, well, internet trading, young people are now big, big players in the market and they, and they can be excitable and they can. It just seems to be a lots of things compared to, say, 20 years ago. The volatility seems, in both directions, seems quite um, new age, if you like. Oh, Peter, for the volatility, I think there, there are multiple explanations, as for always. Um, we also have a, an increasingly large contingent of ETF investors. Yeah. And that means if they sell an ETF, then a whole basket of stock goes, to, goes out the window. Mm. Um, we also have increasingly more um, automated trading these days with algorithms and, and, and so-called intelligent programs doing it. But I think 
given the season where we are and given the, the, the general um, cautiousness in, in, in the market, volumes in the United States and in Australia are very low this point in time. Uh, on my experience, when you are this close to the reporting season, uh, many, many institutions, they sit on their hands, they don't do anything. Um, because they really want want to want to want to watch and wait for more clearer indications what comes out of the company's results, and that means um, on low volume you can get really outsized movements either way. Um, if, if you want if you want to draw a joke about it, if if I if I start looking at the stock, it will up, it will be up by ten percent because no one else is looking. Mm. Um, and that's basically the, the situation where we're in. in this, this close to the reporting season, there are very few institutional investors who are willing to stick their neck out because they prefer to wait for clearer indications from the reporting season itself. Mm. Uh, um, looking at a company like City, um, reporting better than expected, I think Wells Fargo did as well, but apparently Bank of America didn't. Um, are we likely to see that kind of story here as well, that um, some, some companies that have been belted up terribly by the market will, will come along and say, well, you're entitled to your view on the price of our company, but look, this is what our company's actually doing. Do you think there's going to be quite a lot of those sorts of stories which will mean the market will say, gee, we got it wrong, we better buy these now? And I'm not saying all stocks, but there's going to be some good businesses that might even be in the tech space and, I, and, and probably I should go back to CSL because you know you, you've liked it, I've liked it. Uh, one of our viewers called Anton ha has been bagging us for liking it 245 and 255. Um, then got the 300. He has to give me a pro an apology at 300 by the way uh, Rudy. Um, but that's a, to me it was a classic company the market just overreacted to CSL and I expected a bit of a comeback. Are we going to see a few of those sorts of stories, do you think, in reporting, Susan? And if so, I want you to name the companies. Oh. <laughs> uh, I'm going to disagree with you, Peter. Oh. Uh, we won't see a few of those. We will see a large number of those. Good. Um, I think this, this is, this is a, um, I think what we've seen in the US, we, we've already seen in Australia. Um, I mean, unfortunately, uh, we, we recently had a market update by um, Jumbo Interactive. And, and that turned out a disappointment hmm. and the share price got shellacked. And we also saw uh, Rio Tinto updating their quarterly and, and that was also a disappointment and they also went down. So, so really, what, what company was that? Rio, that last one? Rio Tinto. Okay, right, yep. Rio Tinto. Yep. Yes. I've heard of and it. And then we saw, we saw a number of other, then we saw another, a number of other companies, BHP, JB Hi-Fi, um, and, and, and uh, uh, Eagles Automotive, uh, and, and a number of others uh, actually coming out with positive uh, market updates and, and their surprise to the upside. So it will be really, really swings and roundabouts this reporting season. And, and part of the problem is for, for investors is, is the long term versus the short term. As I, as I like to joke sometimes is that you actually want companies like uh, CSL and a ResMed, uh, for example, you want them to disappoint because you know that, that it, it'll, it'll push the share price down temporarily and then you can get on board uh, <laughs> buying more shares. Yeah. Because 
these remain very, very excellent long-term uh, growth uh, outlooks. On the other end, you will have companies that have, been, have gone down by 80, 85, 90%, and they might actually surprise to the upside. The result might not be as bad as thought, but it doesn't mean that they will prove to be very good long-term performers. And that's where investors will have to, will have to weigh up um, what comes out of our reporting season. One more comment to make, Peter, in, 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 in with regards to the two questions you asked, one is reporting season, the other one is whether, whether we have a bottoming process. On my observation, when the market goes through very, very tough times, as it has had this year, the very first segment of the share market to, to start stabilizing and, and to regain their uptrend are usually the ones like CSL, Wesmed, Cochlear, Technology One, Woolworths, etc. And if I translate that in, in a different environment, those are the old weather, relatively defensive, mm. solid, excellent uh, franchises we have on the stock exchange. So essentially, you can say that part of the stabilization process, let's call it phase one this year, that is taking place is done in a very conservative and cautious way. Investors have put their money where I believe is the lowest earnings risk for the, for the months ahead. Yeah. <clears throat> but also, these, comp these companies are most likely going to, going to offer the, the least risk if we do run into a recession next year, yeah. while still offering excellent growth opportunities for, for the years ahead. Mm. And those are actually the lower risk propositions in the market and you can tell from um let's let's go back about five six weeks to, to early june that's where most of those share prices started stabilizing and by now uh they are they are up quite a lot if you look at for example the the, the price action in csl in technology one in woolworths that's almost like someone uh, shot an arrow into the air and that's how the share price went yeah well in fact i really i wrote a piece on monday looking at um, a CSL, and it, it, it started to uh, come out of its low on June 17. And I thought, well, you know, people have been trying to tell me that CSL has been treated like a tech stock. Let's just see when the S&P 500 rebounded, June 17. And uh, I thought that was quite, quite interesting that, that that was it. But you're right, it's a quality, inverted commas, tech company, and that's why it's being chased right now. Now let's let's go and then okay. So me, you're sort of saying this is this is probably step one of the bottoming process. But the next step two could be down. Of course, steps two could be up, depending on what reporting season says. Um, in, in a, in a um, losers versus winners sense. So really, talking about those co companies that you've already mentioned. Are they good buying opportunities right now, do you think, for the person who's prepared to wait a year for um, you know, really good returns? I personally, I wouldn't chase now the likes of uh, Woolies, Technology One and, and CSL, although in, as we speak, the, those share prices are falling today uh, because they've, they've actually had quite a good, quite a good run upwards. Yeah. And, and, and as I said, we, we are still waiting for the results to come out. Mm. And even the wool, even the Woolworths, which happened early in the year, they can they can have a disappointment. Mm. Higher costs, um, they are absorbing some of the, the price increases. So it is well possible. And actually, if you are a long-term investor, 
I, I you actually want them to disappoint this <laughs> month because then you can you can snap off you can you can snap off a few uh, extra shares at, at, at a cheaper price level. I think the share market it, it it is actually indicating to us where the lowest risks are and where the higher risks are. And I think those stocks, I think that the market has decided they represent the lowest the lowest risk for disappointment here. So the, those share prices have, have now had a good run. Mm. And now we have to wait what, what comes next. But obviously we can look we can look further and there are still segments in the share market that uh, might represent good value here on, on the premise that A, um, we, we don't see inflation uh, continuing to going up in the second half and that bond yields uh, are not going up again. So if we, if we and, and maybe at some point central banks have to have to have to pause a little bit. If that's happening, then there are a lot of companies that we label technology or growth companies in the smaller cap space or the REITs on the on the ASX, both of those three sectors, if you if you distinguish between technology and growth, then you have three sectors that the only thing they need is um, bond yields, not not to cause too much too much more havoc. Mm. And then a lot of those share prices actually look great value. Obviously, the great caveat here is what are the results going to look like in August? And it is coming close now, we're two weeks away from August. Yeah. So we will get a lot of those answers. But my, my inclination would be that a lot of the reads at the very least um, look uh, very, very attractively priced here. Which rate do you like the best? Um, I own this one. The best one, the best the, the best one I like is Goodman Group, but um, again, you probably don't want to don't, probably don't want to chase us too hard. Mm. But there was a there was a small small cap read which is called Homeco Healthcare and Wellness Read, mm. and um, that's a relatively recent spin-off. The, the code is HCW. Um, it is from the Homeco guys. It's it's a read that that has. Um, healthcare assets like hospitals and, and GPs and, and et cetera. Mm. And, and they're listed and obviously that, that, that should all else being equal, quite a secure uh, read mm. uh, because I mean, the likes of um, hospitals don't, don't, don't go bankrupt easily. No. Um, and I own that one and I think it's heavily undervalued, but I also, I also noticed uh, the share price is, is, is up this week. Okay, let's go to, that's, that's REITs. Um, now, we are, we're already seeing a rotation into healthcare and the, the three stocks you've mentioned, Cochlear, CSL, Resmed and Beneficiaries. Now, my, my overall optimistic thesis, which will surprise you that I've got an optimistic thesis, um, Rudy, is that the December quarter is likely to be the quarter when the stock market could turn around. And my argument is reporting season comes through and it's not as bad as we expect. Inflation peaks over the next couple of months in the US. Uh, the interest rate scenario that you're talking about, the bond yields, they don't go back to 3.4%. They hover around maybe high twos, um, something like that. Um, uh, a, a recession doesn't happen in the US, as Mark Zandi from Moody Analytics tipped this week. And, but we still might see a slowdown in the US. So this is, the, I guess, the, the best case scenario. Under those circumstances, a rotation into tech stocks is not uh, unbelievable, is it? Now, if that's, if, if that's right, that all well, under circumstances, the good quality tech stocks, what are the good quality tech stocks in Australia 
that you like, that even if it takes till the March quarter of next year to see whether I'm talking about December quarter, what tech stocks, mm. if you had a lazy 100,000 sitting around doing nothing, you know, what three would you put that 100,000 into? Well, first of all, it depends on how you define technology. Uh, I mean, some people would, 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 would include car sales, seek, REA group. Yep, exactly. Um, I mean, I, I agree with, I agree with, I agree with those. Yeah. And, um, um, I, I own two of them. Um, yep. Yeah, I think so. Um, so, I mean, those are great companies for, for a longer term view. The only, the only but I can add here is that you have to be comfortable with how the housing market is going. And, 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 and economists are forecasting house prices will fall by 10 to 15, if not 20% mm. next year. Mm. That will somehow have an impact even for the likes of Seek, uh, car sales, and REA Group, I would argue. Yeah. Um, a more typical, a more typical definition of technology uh, would be uh, to include um, Objective Corp, uh, Zero, and an Altium. Hmm. Um, and and everyone can can see from price charts, they haven't nearly as fall, fallen as much as as many of the other the, the smaller technology mm. companies and that there's a very good reason for that they are better companies mm. uh, again um, that's on the premise that we don't get a, a, a recession next year yeah um, uh, I in particular I noticed that there's a particular some skeptics in how zero will uh, will handle a recession uh, the UK economy is not it's not it's not looking very flash and they are they are a very big player in the UK um, so it's probably a case of short-term risks a little bit higher than normal but long term, uh, the trajectory is still looking looking very very well there. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm probably still forgetting. I mean, one of the technology stocks I think that should be on everyone's radar as well would be a WiseTech Global. Mm. Um, excellent business model. Again, um, it has recently issued a quite a positive market update, so the short term risk should be quite benign. But then again, the share price has rallied now a, a lot, and I wouldn't be chase. I would have been chasing it here. Okay. But give me the three then. I know for the headline, Rudy Philippeck Van Dyke's three <laughs> best tech stocks. <laughs> okay, I'll, 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 I'll give you one. And again, this one, this one I definitely own. Um, and it's, it's, it's technology, I think. It's IDP education. Hmm. And um, it's at the moment, I think it's, it's, it's somewhere around the $24 mark. Um, it's, 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 it is basically a mid 30s uh, share price. Um, I think it, it will it will reward investors over the next few years, multiple. And um, if any indications are are there, uh, then um, the the number, the volume of students that is coming to countries like like Australia and and North America is is is, is rapidly approaching pre-COVID levels. Uh, this company is is uh, is uh, developing itself as the global leader. In, in, in English language tests for students from developed markets who want to come to uh, the students from developing markets, I should mm. say, come to uh, universities and, and education institutions in countries like Australia, the US, Canada, and stuff like that. Uh, future looks absolutely great. I've, I've, I've held this stock for quite a while and I've, I've kept it throughout all the turbulence. Mm. And, and I think uh, the outlook uh, should, be, should be great. But again, um, we'll have to we'll have to wait and see how how August is going to pan out because maybe they have some higher costs and maybe you never know. But again, 
if if the share price gets 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 a good old shellacking in in August, I would uh, my inclination would be I buy more shares. Yeah. Yes. Really, Philip Peck, Van Dyke, thanks for sharing your wonderful market insights. Thank you, Peter. Always a pleasure. Well, joining us now is Blackmore Capital's Marcus Bogdan, who also manages the Switzer Dividend Growth Fund. And there's been a few changes afoot. We'd like to see what those changes are and why. But also, let's just kick off, first of all, with me saying hello to Marcus. Hi, Marcus. Hi, Peter. Good to see you. Hi, I'm here. Let's just talk about what you're seeing in the market uh, for your forward PEs, valuations now. It seems a bit of optimism is creeping back into the market. Yeah, certainly a better month start. What we've seen or this so far in uh, in July, uh, and what we have seen uh, this calendar year is the market PE for the ASX 200 go from around 18 times back to around 12.9 times, and that has been driven by rising interest rates and this fear of inflation. Uh, and that's compressed valuations, and this is a global phenomenon. And we are now trading around 10% below our long-term average on a, on a PE basis. Also, from a dividend yield perspective, at the beginning of the year, we were trading at around 3.9% dividend yields. Um, earnings have been stable in, ter in terms of revisions, uh, and that dividend yield is now close to 5%. So there's certainly greater value in the market. I think what is critical now is the upcoming reporting season. But so far, uh, there have been very few negative revisions to earnings, and that is encouraging. Yeah. What I find really interesting, when you look at the whole thing in, 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 in a big and whole way, what we've had is a market probably over-smashing companies on the supposition that they're not going to do well. And the companies are probably going to come in and say, well, we are doing well. And I guess we're not certain about the future, but so far, so good. It is um, from, from, from an earnings perspective and from a demand perspective, uh, we're still seeing the benefits of reopening. Um, all of the retail channel checks that we're doing and what we, what we also um, um, seeing more broadly suggesting that we've got full employment uh, and still strong consumer demand. So I guess the, the bottom line for us is we just have to hope that inflation does peter out between now and the end of the year. And if that's you know, not peter to disappear, but just start heading down, which will mean that the, the views on interest rates would be viewed as being over the top. And that'll be another great um, fillip to the stock market in the December quarter. How how possible is that? Well, I think you're absolutely right, um, linking the two together in terms of inflation and interest rates. And I think a critical measure for the for the market is understanding when we see a peak in inflation, uh, and that will lead to sort of a peak in the interest rate outlook as well. Uh, and once that is understood, then I think there'll be a lot more comfort more broadly in the market uh, to start to recover. Okay, let's go and look at um, your 
your preview and expectation about reporting season locally? Because at the moment, the Yanks seem to be doing better than expected, and that's part of the reason why Wall Street's up. They are. Um, there's been uh, strong, stronger um, results in the in the US, uh, and the, you know the great fear in the US that uh, was that the margins would start to compress um, as costs were continuing to arise. But so far, um, the pass through onto the end consumer has has continued, uh, and the channel checks that we've done in the Australian companies that we've we've seen is certainly the demand re remains very, very sound. And so for the upcoming reporting season, we do see moderation in earnings growth, given that it was such a strong year in 2021. Uh, that's just a, a natural phenomenon that you will see a slowdown there. But we still expect to see earnings expansion rather than contraction. And that's a, another critical component uh, to the underlying support of valuations for the market. And I guess, Marcus, what's going to be a really important factor will be the sum total of CEOs' views on the future or outlook of their companies. If, if it's not as bad as expected, that will be great for the market. If it's worse than expected, it won't be good for the well, I think you are you are right. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see how many companies actually give firm guidance. Uh, and look, and I think just given the backdrop that we've got, uh, the number of challenges that we have, the level of uncertainty there, I mean, there will be, I think, caution around guidance, but I think the evidence will be in the earnings reports uh, and the returns that companies are continuing to get. Okay, let's go to the, the, what you've done in your own portfolio. Have you reduced any any um, significant uh, holding, and have you added to others? Yes, we have made a recent change uh, to the portfolio. We have reduced our exposure to, to banks, primarily um, reducing our position in CBA, and that's primary primarily on on the back of. Um, still a very high valuation for CBA, and also the expectation that loan growth, credit growth, will moderate uh, as, as the economy slows with higher interest rates. And what we've done is to take that capital uh, and add to our position in Telstra. We think that the telcos are more defensive in their, in their earnings characteristics. Um, Telstra has recently been able to put prices up by 5% for a range of mobile plans, uh, and we're still getting a good dividend yield of around 4.1% fully, fully franked. Great stuff. All right, now, you also like a, a, a company called Spark. Tell us about the company and why you like it. Well, Spark is the equivalent uh, in New Zealand of, of Telstra in, in terms of it, its, its heritage. Uh, and that provides a dividend yield of over 5%. And, uh, and what we do like about the telcos is that they have a, a range of infrastructure assets, which they're now starting to monetize. Spark has recently um, announced uh, a sell down of their mobile towers, uh, and that will generate sort of around $900 million around 10% of their market capitalisation, which they will progressively um, use for, for, for returning capital back to shareholders. So defensive earnings, strong balance sheets, ability to put um, prices up, uh, and then also uh, the expectation of capital returns for shareholders. 
Okay, one last question. We've seen every time there's a bit of positivity coming out of the US, tech stocks have uh, had a nice ride up. Is this a sneak preview of what might happen if that scenario of mine of uh, inflation's on the, on the fall, the expectation around interest rates are pulled back, once that all that happens, do you think that's going to be a, another leg up for tech stocks? Well, a lot of things have to happen, as you've just out outlined, uh, and whether we do see the, the sorts of moderations that you're talking about, uh, we do need to see the peaking of interest rates because that is so sensitive to valuation of growth stocks. But when you look at the valuations, yes, they have come back significantly, but they are still above long-term averages. And so we are not at the point where we're increasing our exposure to growth or tech yet, but you're getting much closer, or to cyclical. So we're still very much in that defensive industrial space, the healthcare space, and real assets, which will be a beneficiary of this high inflation. Well, Marcus, you're a very defensive person. That's what we like about you. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Thanks, Peter. Cheers. Well, my next guest is Arjun Palawal of a data-driven buyers agency called Investor Kit. Arjun, great to see you. Great to be on again, my friend. Okay. So, Arjun, uh, the subject is the regional areas of Australia, which have done fantastically well. I, I, I figure it's done well because of the implications of the coronavirus and people working from home, but were the regions already becoming popular even before the coronavirus? Yes, so this uh, idea of everyone only started moving there after work from home became a phenomena is, is definitely incorrect. Uh, the trend was already on the way up prior COVID. It was supercharged though, because as the shackles of work life and how we adapt have been removed, um, there's definitely been an added layer of demand. But the constant across all of these markets that we've been analyzing across regional Australia is not so much just the demand side, but the heavy undersupply that is still apparent even today. Yeah, and so I, I guess it's fair to say that there's always been a, a creeping movement of people trying to negotiate working from home. Uh, was it really helped by the arrival of Zoom, video and Microsoft Teams? Well, that was definitely one core component. Technology has been a great enabler. Uh, naturally, the pandemic being the shift in the biggest of movements, which mm. is to do with how we had to adapt to work. But actually, another core part has just been attractive lifestyle. Um, attractive lifestyle and affordability has always been there. Mm. And there's actually always also been a segment of some jobs prior to this pandemic that offered work from home. But as we've all noticed, it has been supercharged. Yeah. I think what we're noticing more now more than ever is with the surges in prices across many uh, capital cities and with the acceptance of work in many more regional areas, um, is the ability to be more flexible in which areas you choose. It might not always be the ones just by capital city anymore. Mm. People are a little bit more broader than that in their thinking. Yeah. Um, let's just talk about, you know, the, the, the regional town that is symbolic of this extraordinary price increase. 
you correct me if I'm wrong, but I instantly think about Byron Bay. Is Byron Bay the, the pinnacle of what's happened in the region in terms of the price increase? Well, funnily enough, uh, Byron Bay is an example of, uh, you know, two components. One is the supercharge effect of the pandemic. That has no doubt applied a major shift of people, demand, and that lifestyle factor. But actually, Byron Bay's performance and its outperformance in eclipsing many cities was even here with us pre-COVID. Yeah. Uh, for many, many years prior to this pandemic, Byron Bay has been a choice for many of the wealthy uh, and many of the lifestyle seekers to find that balance. And uh, that's been a big part of some of the regional house price growth occurring. Okay. Now, in your, your notes, you say um, that the, the um, regional property growth will continue in smaller, undersupplied areas and you say there are five markets set to soar. So what are those five markets and explain why? Yeah, the first point is you touched on undersupplied. In any time when people are analyzing housing markets, especially during consumer sentiment drops like we're seeing today, the core things of housing fundamentals that factor into sentiment, demand and supply two of the three become very cloudy demand and supply uh, supply is the one that's not cloudy but demand and sentiment is the one that becomes cloudy yeah. and the reason why is that you know supply is a data set that is just an actual uh, seeing listings versus two years ago five years ago ten years ago is very apparent and it doesn't need to you know be worrying about the why or what if that's happening or what if this is happening like many things in the demand world do so as a result, we focused our analysis on heavily undersupplied markets and areas such as Tamworth, Bundaberg, Toowoomba, the Barossa Valley, and even Albury-Wodonga showcased themselves in a series of undersupply data checks that we did. Hmm. So it clearly means that, you know, to some examples, to give you one, Tamworth has listing levels between 40 and 60% lower than pre-pandemic levels, which is no small movement at all. Um, so this is huge, which means even if demand does pause or stall or consumer sentiment does come off, this huge undersupply will leave buyers with very little choice, continuing their price growth across many of the other reasons, like stronger economies as mm. well. Is this take time worth? What is what is the main reason why listings are so low? Because in the city, listings often drop because they think the market's going to be terrible. And like for, when the pandemic first started, listings fell until they realised that the, the, the listings that remained on the market didn't very very well. Um, so, what is the pullback factor in Tamworth for for uh, listing? It's been a mixed response from our on the ground component of the review when we do this analysis. Uh, the first component is just that roaring demand that we've seen during the pandemic just outpaced the current listings on market. Mm. So the new just wasn't keeping up. And right. so as a result, it became such a tight floor. That was one of the things and it just hasn't recovered yet. Mm. The second thing is that people are placing themselves at home, wanting to be there in that city. They're seeing the benefits of that lifestyle, the local economy approving. Mm. And as a result, people aren't shuffling and moving around or making large decisions as they were prior pandemic at the same volume. Um, the main thing that we noticed though, at the end of the day is supply is one of those data sets where if you don't have a core reason or can't quite identify it, it's okay. 
because the outcome is still the same houses for sale or less houses for sale mm. and so from that perspective there's definitely less houses for sale in the areas that i've picked up prior to the pandemic yeah, it, today. it's interesting michael when i think about um tamworth albury toowoomba bundaberg i'll forget the fifth one but they're, they're all great centers i know when i drive to melbourne i call them the albury and that place is just it's just growing, you know, massive um, uh, bun uh, Bunnings, massive Harris Farm markets. It's, uh, it's an extraordinary growth thing. Can you imagine why people don't want to leave? Yeah, the lifestyle is definitely a core factor of them. And it's beautiful that many parts of Australia now get to actually put it on the map and see it, feel it, experience it. Mm. I think a year or two of not traveling the whole globe and just seeing what we have to offer locally, as well as what many of these cities have you know, also offer from a price point and affordability perspective, there's no wonder why many people are happy to stay put or are calling it home. Mm. Uh, but the real thing here is that many people are just not putting their houses for sale. It is tough times for many of the selling agents who are wanting to get a hold of more stock. Uh, they are working that little bit harder for it, uh, but the vendors are being rewarded quite nicely with increased pressure and in turn increased pricing. And does it mean that some suburbs in the cities of say Sydney and Melbourne um, suffer when there is a high demand to go into the regions and they probably won't improve until immigration levels start to pick up. Yeah, it's a great point you raised there, Peter, because immigration levels play a big factor into the rental market. Mm. Now, what's, what's possibly surprised many is how strong the rental market's been, even as the immigration of the borders have been shut. And so the borders now open are definitely seeing more and more people come through, but the numbers are nowhere near mm. the prior levels. So yes, when you see exodus, when you see less people coming in, there is a net negative effect of certain components of Sydney as an example. Mm. Uh, but that one reason alone isn't the core factor. Uh, I think the main factor here for Sydney's slowdown is that alongside the sentimental changes and the monetary changes, the listing levels are at a balanced component. We're back to our five-year listing level averages. Yeah. They're still well below their 10-year averages, so it's not extremely oversupplied. But when you see demand come off because people are wondering, is this the right time? And when you see sentiment shift, those areas that carry that balanced supply tend to get a little bit weaker. Yeah. I've always seen over the years that one of the best indicators that the market is suffering uh, you know, uh, lower prices is when auction signs become for sale. And when they start increasing in number, you know that the sellers are having difficulty getting the prices that they think their property's worth. Definitely. I think we're, we're clearly seeing a shift in, um, you know, percentages on auction clearance rates in our major cities like Sydney and Melbourne. Um, we are also in, in other cities that tend to have a little bit less supply um, they're not getting the same levels of price growth as they were late last year because the key component is that is not sustainable hmm. if you're thinking price growth like that exists forever. In any strong city with strong fundamentals and low supply, we don't expect those prices to get back to those levels of growth, but we do expect some of the cities I've named here to have some you know, healthy performances when you compare it to national averages over the next year or two. All right, Arjun, thanks for joining us and uh, let's hope you're right. Thank you. Cheers. That's Arjun Palawal from InvestorKit. And that's the show for tonight. Thanks for joining us. Remember, you can get more information and more tips on stocks 
by going to switzerreport.com.au. Thanks for joining us. See you on Monday night.